When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on the show, we are braving the elements of Seleucus Secundus and fighting for our lives. Oh, also, we're just nine years old. Welcome to Gamjabar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe. From Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name is Leo. And my name's Abu. And man, we've had a tough childhood fighting for our lives since we were like five or six years old. Wrestling tigers. Yeah, yeah. It was a rough upbringing. <laughs> But now we're the best of the best, Leo. Tony the Tiger has a whole different connotation on Seleucus Secundus. <laughs> Tony is the tiger you, like, stab and kill as a child. <laughs> you you train your entire adolescent life to murder Tony the Tiger. It's Sardaukar! <laughs> Sorry, that was bad. Well, if it isn't obvious, today we're talking about the Sardaukar. Yeah who are a pretty significant force in the galaxy. And I think throughout this episode, we'll make the case for them being one of the most important sort of groups in the in the entire Imperium. And this is something I didn't realize before I started doing the research for this episode. Yeah. yeah. Like, for as important as they are, the, <laughs> the Dune novels don't explain them very much. They're just sort of there. I very personally wanted to do this episode because... Uh, for myself, as I was reading Dune for the very first time, I remember seeing this word, Sardaukar, Sardaukar, Sardaukar. Yes. And never knowing what it is. And I kept thinking, oh, can't wait till, you know, Frank Herbert fully explains right. this whole thing. And then the book ends. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> I don't, I still don't really get it. Right. And the way that characters talk about them, I felt like I was missing out on something right. that... Again, again, I, I kind of only now really appreciate having done this research. So I, I am very excited to talk about this. Yeah, and that's sort of our goal today. The 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 whole point of approaching the Sardaukar from a non-spoiler perspective is if you are about to read the Dune novels or if you're excited about right. the upcoming right. TV show and films, we're hoping that this episode will give you greater context as you enter this incredible world of Dune. Because we were certainly lost every time the Sardaukar were mentioned <laughs> right, right. on our first read. So hopefully this will help you on your first read and will give you a, a greater picture. But no spoilers today for any of the novels. Yeah. We will discuss <laughs> the history of the Sardaukar, the context of who they are and what they do. But we will not be talking about the plots of the books. And we will effectively get you caught up to speed with the Sardaukar up to the start of the first book, and then we'll stop. So then you can pick it up from there and enjoy it, having understood, hopefully, after we do our jobs here, having understood who the Sardaukar are and why they are so important. 
God, as tempting as it is <laughs> to just talk about everything, you're absolutely right. We will, we will, we'll hold off. We'll be good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let, let's start off. Um, who are the Sardaukar? What do you, what do you think? How would you describe the Sardaukar? Badasses. Bad, bad, yeah. <laughs> In one word. John, John Wicks. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jason Statham's. Yes. They are. Yes. Dwayne, made of rock, Johnson. Mm-hmm. Leonidas of the Spartans. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. There's going to be a lot of Spartan analogies today. But what, what we're getting at, we're beating around the bush here. The, the Sardaukar. <laughs> the the Sardaukar are simply the elite military force of the emperor. And they're arguably the best fighters in the entire galaxy. Yeah. And it's due to the Sardaukar that the emperor has been able to hold the throne. Wait for it. Wait for this. Wait for this fact. <laughs> for nearly 10,000 years. <laughs> it's a casual, casual amount of time <laughs> to hold a throne, you know, this one house in power. And you're, you're totally right. Like, they are arguably the best fighters in the galaxy, and that's kind of the reputation, which is part of it. Mm -hmm. Many times in the history of Dune, uh, before the first pages of the books, they demonstrate themselves to be some of the greatest fighters ever. But a lot of the times, they're sort of this dissuasive force. They are... Yes. People go, oh, the Sardaukar? The fucking the fucking Sardaukar here? I don't want to fight them. That, that's terrible. No, okay, I give up. I give up. You know, you keep being the emperor for another 5,000 years, whatever. It doesn't... Right. You know, they, they are a big part of why House Carino is in power for as long as they are. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, be realistic, Leo. Would you want to fuck with an army that's no. made up entirely of no. SEAL Team 6s? <laughs> no. I exactly. didn't even need to hear the end of that sentence. We're talking about Sardaukar. You said, be realistic. Do you want to? I said, no. I opt out immediately if the Sardaukar are going to be present. They are ruthless. They are cunning. They are, like, religiously motivated. Right. And, and, and again, all of this stuff is part of the reputation, but it's also totally, totally justified. You know, you're, you're not fabricating much. You're just saying, well, look at what they did. Right, right. And it, time and time again... The Sardaukar will be mentioned throughout the Dune novels. I, For me, at least, when I was reading these chapters and people would bring up Sardaukar, in my mind, the scene would play out where people would sort of talk in hushed whispers, right? Like, nobody nobody, <laughs> right, nobody right. dare say the word Sardaukar <laughs> out loud in case they're right around the corner ready to fuck you up. Like, the, the Sardaukar <laughs> are to yeah. be feared when they're referenced in the novels by the characters. It, it's almost in awe. <laughs> and you're absolutely right that they're a deterrent force. The emperor's like, if you're going to fuck with me, you're going to have to get through the Sardaukar. And nobody is either able to get through the Sardaukar or even wants to try because of this reputation that they have for being such ruthless, such proficient fighters. Yeah. And we're going to dig into that, why that is. Where we're going to really dig into their history, what makes them such ruthless and incredible fighters and how they rose to power. Because it's a really fascinating history. I, you know, it's funny because the way I, I agree, as you're reading the books, they they are mentioned in these sort of hushed tones. I, I always got the impression of like Beetlejuice, like you don't want to say it too many times, or <laughs> they'll appear, uh, or like 
Death Eaters or like Voldemort, like you just don't even want to say the name. But the way you described it makes him sound like they're the jocks at school <laughs> and you're like in the school halls. <laughs> Meanwhile, they're just around the corner like, oh, I'm going to yeah. take his lunch money <laughs> brutally and with religious fervor. <laughs> right. Look, Leo, I just don't want to get shoved in the locker again by Sardaukar, okay? The last time that happened, I was stuck in there for hours. Your children felt it. You don't even have kids yet. <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah, it's crazy. Everyone's afraid of them is the point we're making. Their reputation precedes them. One one thing I do want to point out, by the time we... So again, 10,000 years, you got to remember the the scope of time here, that they're effectively in power and that they are considered the best of the best. By the time we reach the first Dune novel, I got the impression that they kind of coast on this reputation. Like, yes, they're still an extremely formidable force, and are probably still the one of the strongest military forces in the entire galaxy, hence the Emperor keeps his power. But I got the impression that they're not exactly like boots to the ground doing the dirty work every day. Like just the fear of them is potentially enough to, you know, quell an uprising or get a, a rebellious minor house to fall in line. Just the threat of Sardaukar is potentially enough at this point. Yeah. Because yeah. the, the myth of the Sardaukar has so, has like demonized them so much. You've got to imagine that even once you achieve this incredibly difficult rank of Sardaukar, you still are honed through combat. You are still honed through confrontation with people who are willing to fight you with the anticipation of maybe winning. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're, you're probably right. Again, the newly initiated Sardaukar are probably just as ferocious and capable 10,000 years later as they were 10,000 years ago because of the nature of initiation. But you've got to think that those seasoned Sardaukar warriors, they haven't seen real combat in, in a long time. So I don't know. What, 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 what is there left to challenge you? And what is there left to yeah. kind of cut your teeth on and, and force you to improve past maybe where you have to be to be that deterrent? Um, Right. And that's actually something we want you as our listener to keep in mind here. This question of what is there left to challenge you? What is there left to sort of push you past your barrier, force you to do something to push yourself to a level that you didn't expect? If you are already the best of the best and everyone's scared shitless of you, like that is that is sort of the the reputation that the Sardaukar have. And as we talk about their origins and the culture that the Sardaukar originally were formed in, you'll start to realize that it was their home planet. It was their brutal and deadly culture that sort of put them through the ringer. There's there's this quote that's attributed to Henry Kissinger. Not that I want to be quoting an asshole and warmonger like him, but and I, I, <laughs> right, this quote right. doesn't even make any sense because it's not true. But whatever, <laughs> the, the quote says You're setting this up very well. <laughs> uh, the quote is: "A diamond is a chunk of coal that did well under pressure." Yeah, and again, coal is not how diamonds are made. Whatever, uh, we don't have to get into the technicality <laughs> of all of that. But the the sentiment still stands, right? Yeah, it is external pressure. It is overcoming challenges that forces people to sometimes become the best versions of themselves or push themselves to a height that they never imagined. That is effectively the story of the Sardaukar. So we want you to keep this question in mind. As they grow to be this massive military might in the galaxy, do we think that because they have less external pressure and they start to become cozier as they become more powerful, or do they become softer? 
that that's a question that we want to pose to you now. We're going to get into their origins here, and then we'll circle back to it at the end of the episode. And Leo, you and I, I think we'll have some thoughts to share about that. But keep that in mind as we get into their origins. Yeah, totally. So let's get into it. We've talked a little bit about it, but let's get into it. In so many ways, the beginning of the Sardaukar is very clearly just the planet they're on, the planet they're coming from. Seleucus Secundus is a shitty planet. It's not... <laughs> to put it lightly, it ain't no Kaladin. It ain't no paradise. If you were shopping for planets, you know, you're going on like a inter interplanetary journey and you're like, oh, I'm looking for a nice planet to settle down on. You would like nope the hell out of Seleucus Secundus in seconds. Yeah. You'd be like, this sucks. This is the worst. Yeah, no, no, no. This is not the, this is not the house that <laughs> it's like a cute house flip flipping project for you and the partner. <laughs> no, no. This, this is that, <laughs> this is that house from that Netflix show, House on Haunted Hill or whatever that was. Oh, yeah. Where yeah, yeah. people fucking die. <laughs> like yeah. that's Seleucus Secundus as a property. Full of ghosts. Just <laughs> super haunted. Whole place. Absolutely brutal planet. And, and we're kind of joking about it but it's 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 true the resources are almost non-existent like pretty much the only things iron and that even that's in like very small amounts the temperatures range from negative 45 degrees celsius to 60 degrees celsius so you oh know bring your zip off like jean <laughs> pants so you can like can you know convert between jeans and shorts yeah. it's not good enough you're still gonna die so great but it's still like covered in plants and it has animals and stuff. And kind of as you might expect, they all are super tough, crazy, strong things because right. what you have to be or else you die. That's the nature of this yes. planet. As simple as that. Only the strong will survive here. Only the strongest plant life, only the strongest animals, and of course, only the strongest people. Right, right. And that's where the tribes of Seleucus Secundus come in. The early sort of tribal cultures here on this planet are constantly at war. There's very little pasture land. There's, again, iron is like the only resource you have. <laughs> right, right. Like, so there's constant fighting over the resources and the land. Right. And the result of all of this fighting is that the cultures evolve to adapt. The cultures become extremely warrior-like in these tribes. They're constantly fighting and on guard and training the next batch of, you know, soldiers so they can survive on this brutal, hostile planet that becomes their culture. If you're not strong on Seleucus Secundus, if you cannot fight on Seleucus Secundus, you will die. Yeah. The other thing, it, it's competition. And that this is what forges strength, right, is, is this pressure amongst the people who are already tough, resilient, strong, forceful people who are fighting the elements and fighting mm -hmm. one another. You have these tribes and these, these groups that are battling one another and one of these is very much the biggest and strongest, and that is the Sard Sardau. Sardau? Sardau sound, sounds right. Yeah, S-A-R-D-A-U. Uh, again, the first part of the word Sardaukar, so cool. We're, we're halfway there, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> they, have, they haven't grown up to be Sardaukar yet. They haven't evolved yet. We got to get them to level 14. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Sardaukar! <laughs> yeah, so the, the Sardaukar right. are the strongest tribe at the moment. And it's all due to their culture, which we're going to get into because it's yeah. fucking brutal. It's crazy. It's not the kind of tribal family you <laughs> want to be growing up in. But it, again, 
not entirely by choice. Right, it's right. because they live on Seleucus Secundus, this horrible, horrible, haunted planet. <laughs> it's because they have to constantly be fighting for tiny amounts of land, tiny amounts of resources, that this culture becomes what it is. It becomes militaristic, and it becomes warrior-like, and the Sardau are the best of the best here on the planet. What's important to note here, this template for Sardau culture becomes the paradigm by which the Sardaukar later in the empire train their soldiers. Right, right. And that's incredible to think. This culture that was the result of a basically a survival tactic on a brutal planet was the template to create the strongest <laughs> soldiers in the galaxy. Yeah. It's the it's the cookie cutter that was like needed to survive becomes the template right for for the most incredible warriors the universe has ever seen yeah the biggest bullies that'll push you in the tiniest of lockers leo <laughs> they're so strong they'll fit you into a locker that you look at and you go there's no way i'm gonna fit in that and then they do somehow they fit do. you into it's incredible they're masters <laughs> <laughs> David Blaine would be impressed. So let's talk about uh, some of their culture. L yeah. Let's talk about what happens if you are a just a youngin, yeah. a youngin in the Sardau culture. You know, life is super easy, I think. You know, it's like super chill. Yeah, you're just coasting, baby. Coasting. Uh, until, of course, you know, all, all cultures have this point where it's like time to time to grow up, time to, right. you know, arrest the power that lies within you. <laughs> For the Sardau, uh, it happens a little earlier than, you know... Like, I remember when I was, like, in my 20s, I was like, oh, now I need to be able to take care of myself. A little earlier, maybe. Right. Got to do my own taxes. Yeah, all right. of that really yeah. hard stuff. Meanwhile, Sardau children over here, six years old. <laughs> six years old. They are they are sparring with knives. Hello. They are knife fighting before they've developed their brains fully. <laughs> Insane. Yeah. Combat training starting at the age of six. And, that, and that's not necessarily unprecedented. Obviously, that's inspired by Spartan culture. Right, right, yeah. And the, the Spartans also began training very, very young. They were also very much a warrior culture. And as we continue to talk about this culture, you will notice lots of similarities to Spartans. It's obvious that the Sardau and the Sardaukar were inspired for Frank Herbert by the real-life Spartans. And this is one, one of those parallels. The early combat training starting at the age of six. Yeah, yeah. Now, Leo, while they're while they're doing this combat training, are they allowed to kill each other? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's that hesitation said everything everything that needed to be said. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's a uh, it's dis it's not in encouraged. Yeah, they're not really encouraged to kill each other. In fact, killing each other is bad because even like late bloomers, you know oh, he's seven and ha can't knife fight yet, you know, give him some time. It's believed by the Sardau people that people, uh, warriors, these boys, inherit their true power through the puberty experience. Oh, I did too, actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah same. Yeah, same. <laughs> so, listen, are we so different? That's the question. Um, <laughs> so, from this age of six, right, they're knife fighting, they, they're encouraged, you know, draw blood, cool, whatever. If, like, little Tommy kills little Timmy, it's not great names that I just came up with, but it's okay. If little Tommy <laughs> kills Brandon, little Brandon, the, the adults will be like, oh, we should probably keep an eye on this tiny murderer. 
Um, but that's fine. Yeah. You're, you're good. Just don't do it again. Let this be your like one murder before you're 10. Right. Yeah. Slap exactly. on the wrist. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's not until after puberty that they are, uh, given the green light to kill people. <laughs> yeah. For a while. Like they're like, yeah, go ahead. Sure. You totally. Yeah. It, it, like puberty is where the start out believe, okay, now you should have, you know, you've been training for, at this point, six or seven years, you've hit puberty, whatever inherent ability you had should be out by now as a warrior. Right. And this is where it's uh, it's kind of kosher for them to even accidentally kill each other during training. Right. right, uh, right and right. in fact, killing another person is part of the early initiation tests into the warrior cast. Like, you you know, you don't necessarily graduate to becoming a full Sardau tribal warrior until you have taken a life. That, that's very much part of the culture. Uh, and this is a way to weed out the weaker children. If you cannot take a life, you know, if you, I guess, if you trip and fall and die in a training <laughs> exercise, right. we don't want you, right. you know, like you're not worthy of the warrior class. There's no way you'll survive on Seleucus Secundus. Like you can't go tripping around Seleucus Secundus. <laughs> we can't have elite soldiers who trip. I mean, we, we said that very clearly and you tripped. Um, it is worth mentioning two things here. First of all, they maintained a crazy proportion of adults to children. Right. Obviously with all these like 16 year olds dying, it's maybe not so surprising that there are fewer adults than there could be. Uh, but there are like, I think it said something like four or five children to every adult Yeah. because they kind of anticipate a bunch of them dying. The other thing that I thought was interesting about this is they mentioned one of the things that would kill people is, you know, you get cut during training or you get stabbed or injured and infection kills you. Oh, my gosh. Or a weaker immune system kills you. And that's not okay. We don't want someone who's going to, like, get sick on the road, you know. So they are choosing the most resilient fighters but also like kind of inevitably the most resilient people too who have the strongest immune systems right. and weeding out the weak it is weeding out the weak in every way right if you're a super strong arm wrestler but you you get cold easily yeah then it's too bad you're not going to make it into the sardau fighting class yeah oops yeah i mean not not, not to get all benny jesuit but <laughs> yeah him. it's like a way to weed out like the bad genes in the tribe and let only those the strongest and the most resilient survive. Uh, and this happens, again, very early. We are talking about children and teenagers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And once they reach adulthood, they have effectively passed some of the hardest challenges of their lives and are now just the most brutal, bloodthirsty, and strongest warriors, um, you know, eventually in the galaxy. And it, it's wild. And one, one small note I think we should also mention Yes, there are five children to every one adult Sardau, and that's because all this training that we've been talking about is for the boys, Leo. Yeah. The girls do not do this. The girls are for one thing only, and that's to have babies, to create more warriors for the you know, tribe. It's, the, it's, the, it's always the third thing people say about the Sardaukar, right? Religious fanatics, really incredible fighters, super sexist like crazy sexist uh super training for the lads making the lads as big and tough and strong as possible meanwhile the the girls are just uh resigned to a life of uh of creating more sardau tribes people yeah they're living on a planet where it could be 60 degrees celsius tomorrow yeah yeah you need the population right the, the faster people die the faster you need to 
uh, create more of them. So, uh, you know, of course, we're not justifying what they've done. And it's a brutal tribal sort of backwards culture. But it's a result of the world they inhabit. Yeah. And that that's the unfortunate part of it. It's just a cold, calculated, totally unfair, really brutally, like very different from any of our values here on yeah. Earth, Terra in the year 2020. Uh, we're a soft bunch, Leo. That's all. We're, we're a bunch of Pillsbury doughboys. We're, we are soft. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But to be fair, we... we we're, we're better than the start out in many other ways so, so many ways i can you know i can draw pretty well and i yeah, how many yeah. start out warriors can show me a start out artist yeah fuck probably none probably none of them. probably none <laughs> they all died the way that i would <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's talk about some of the uh, uh so, some of the initiations and the the tests that these right. children make right. one small fact that the encyclopedia made sure to point out, which I found shocking, was many of these children never make it past the age of 12. So brutal training, you reach puberty, and you just don't pass. You die. You get infected. You get sick. You catch a cold. You uh, there's, there's a test that happens twice a year from the ages of 8 to 12, yeah. where these children are left empty-handed out in the waste of Seleucus Secundus yeah. and left to either die or survive and make their way back to the tribe. So, again, another way to just weed out the weak. And many of these children don't make it past the age of 12. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's just like Minecraft, but way darker. Just way <laughs> more violent and terrible. You just, it's impossible. Um, yeah. There is a special uh, challenge. So, <laughs> when they make it to puberty, there's like a fun kind of like oh, nice. party challenge. It's like, oh, <laughs> cool. It's a graduation puberty challenge. Yay. Yeah. I think I had one of those too. It, yeah. It was called high school. And you <laughs> you went to high school on Skull Reach, huh? <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah. So, boys are sent to Skull Reach. Skull which, Reach. Skull Reach. That, which, by the way, okay, Seleucus Secundus, shitty planet. Skull Reach, shittiest part of the shitty planet. This is just a bad. Yep. Yeah. Inc- so bad. It's, oh, wow. It is the worst. And the, these boys are sent there. Now, you might think, you might make the mistake of underestimating these, like, 13-year-old children and go, oh. You fool. Probably a bunch of, yeah, you, you fool. <laughs> probably most of them die during this point. Well, M. Night Shyamalan's present because... 90% of them survive this fun puberty challenge. Plot twist. At, exactly. At this point, the children who have made it to puberty, the boys who have made it to puberty, are so tremendously resilient that you can send them to the worst... Pl- Imagine the worst place on Earth yeah, yeah. and consider the fact that galactically Earth is like a paradise. This is the worst place on the worst planet. Right. Imagine surviving Florida. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm not even going to defend Florida. <laughs> I just stumped the... Fr- that, is that number one for you? Um, it, it's, I think it's high on the list. <laughs> I was going to say like the bottom of a volcano or something, but you're like Miami. <laughs> Tampa. <laughs> just, man. Tampa. Just imagine it. These these boys are so hardy. These boys are so strong that they can go to Skull Reach. They can go to Tampa Bay, Florida. <laughs> they can go to Tampa. <laughs> and 90% of them make it back alive. 
It's in, it's incredible. Like Frank Frank Herbert was on a rough vacation to Tampa when he was writing about Seleucus goodness. <laughs> yeah, he's in Tampa. Like, fuck, is it sixty degrees Celsius here? Right now? <laughs> and last night was as nearly negative thirty. <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, gosh. Yeah, exactly. What are we talking about? I don't even know. All right, back back on track. Know, <laughs> so, again, uh, the point we're making is by the time these yeah. children get to adulthood, they are tough. And tough is not a strong enough word for what they are. <laughs> this yeah. leads the Sardau to start expanding across Lusa Secundus. And eventually the Sardau win wars, fight other tribes, and become less of a tribe and more of a nation. They start, at first it was sort of murder everyone, take no prisoners. Right, right. But then they realized, wait a second, prisoners could actually be useful. Keep in mind, even though these other tribes don't necessarily have the same crazy, exact same program for getting their kids so indestructible and, and crazy tough, every person on this planet is tough and resilient. Yeah. So you're totally right. Like the, the Sardau are like, oh, I feel like we're... <laughs> wasting some super tough people like that that seems like a waste yeah exactly right right the the weakest seven-year-old <laughs> on Seleucia secundus could shove me in that same locker today yeah today yeah. right now exactly <laughs> so again the sardauer just happened to be the strongest and the baddest and the most brutal they take over these other tribes they start incorporating them into their now nation because they've spread so far and grown so large and this is where the Sardaukar are formally created. So the Sardaukar are the elite fighting force of the Sardau nation now. And admission into the Sardaukar is even tougher. So now that there's all these disparate tribes, part of the Sardau nation, you would imagine there's sort of a uh, overall weakening of the tribe, right? Like that, right. that strict original Sardau tribe training can't be spread across this many other tribes and people. So the Sardaukar now are sort of the best of the best of the best. And this is the, the elite fighting force and admission to this group is given, again, to only the strongest of the people, uh, the only the strongest of the warriors, and only the most fanatically loyal. Right, right. Now, of course, all of this is creating this incredible, powerful force that is out there in the universe, but right now it's it's not really on many people's radar. This is all very like on Seleucus Secundus. Mm -hmm. So we have to get to this point where it's kind of introduced to the world and or the, the, the galaxy. And the way this is done is through this battle. The Sardaukar end up fighting at what is called the Battle of Corin. And this is really the kind of the first time that you see the Sardaukar on the, the kind of world stage demonstrating because they're fighting the lance rod yeah like they are fighting all of the major houses the, the combined might of the major houses right. yeah. and they technically win <laughs> like it's a wild upset you know again you imagine like one country's seal team six taking on every other you know nation in the world in united power and winning Un unheard of, unprecedented in our world and our timeline, and also in in Dune. So this is this is a massive moment in history. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it was technically a victory, but it also kind of was a stalemate. Both sides, right? Basically, had to like it wasn't such a, a sound defeat, or 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 enough of a victory where the Sardaukar could just keep steamrolling. You know, right? Right? They right, had enough yeah. losses 
it was a brutal enough fight again against literally all of the combined might of the house major <laughs> yeah it was a brutal enough fight for them that they had to come to the negotiating table at this point and this is where the iconic and we mentioned this in our timeline episode a few episodes ago this is where the treaty of corn is signed but imagine being a mentat on that day of being like uh, I need more data about this thing. So, so tell me, the the Sardaukar fought uh, who? All of them. <laughs> all of them. All all of who? The other people in Seleucid? Con- no, 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 no. All of the other people <laughs> e- everywhere. All of them, and they lost. No, they won. And the Mentat's like, well, I uh, resign. I no longer know what's co- happening. Is the sky blue? Who knows? I who who's to say? Yeah. Ask the Sardaukar; they know better. <laughs> it's an absolutely wild thing to think about. This battle, this treaty, establishes like the modern world of Dune, like as modern as you can call it. Remember, this happens ten thousand years right, before right, the right. first pages of the Dune novel. The Battle of Corin is eighty-eight BG. Right? Yes, yeah. So on that timeline, <laughs> if you have, if you haven't listened to our episode one uh, right. timeline, do because it's good to know that yeah that it's good to know that 88 before guild before the foundation of the spacing guild yeah. so this treaty leads to a couple of changes for the sardau people and the sardaukar the leader of the people at the time officially becomes the first padishah emperor and this is where house corin is officially established this padishah emperor this leader of the sardau people establishes his house as house corin right, named right. of course after the battle of corin which took place near the planet of corin it all makes sense <laughs> and this this establishes the imperium as we know it today and quite literally establishes the line of padishah emperors that for the most part except for a couple of rebellious people here and there for the most part maintain <laughs> their power yeah. until the first pages of dune from 88 bg on the timeline to ten thousand yeah. and some odd years to the first pages of dune when we're introduced to them they are still in power right and it's all due to the might of the sardaukar and it's really interesting to know that this according at least to the encyclopedia which we consider sort of primary canon brian herbert's books may may adjust this house corn origin a little bit but as far as we understand the lore on this podcast from Frank's own words and from the encyclopedia, House Corin was originally the Sardau people, and they were established after their victory and because of this Treaty of Corin. Yeah. And and again, they are single-handedly wielding this this weapon, the Sardaukar, for 10,000 years. We, we keep saying it, we keep going back to it, but this is a warrior practice of forging these these warriors that is unmatched for 10 thousand years and even in the world of dune that is a long time yeah so it, it is just it is very worth mentioning yeah th- this warrior race that the uh, that house corn that the padishah emperor now wields becomes a tool becomes a blunt instrument for the empire's expansion the, their expansionist ambitions continue and they continue to spread out through the galaxy right, bring right. in other houses and quell any rebellions and one of those rebellions from a house who refuses to agree to this treaty of corin and refuses to recognize the padishah emperor as the leader of the entire empire uh create a confederation with like-minded sort of rebellious houses and allies 
called the Lishash Confederation. And I'm sure it worked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we mentioned this because it didn't work. Oh, no. <laughs> and it didn't work spectacularly. It, <laughs> they had the, the encyclopedia gets into some minute detail here, but effectively the confederation, this rebellious confederation, has like one sort of minor victory against the Sardaukar because they were caught unawares. And then the Sardaukar fucking retaliate by wiping out planets. That's crazy. That's so insane. Like, they, they lost, like, one military base, maybe. And they're like, yeah, we're going to wipe out trillions of people. It's absolutely brutal. And the lesson that's learned here for the galaxy is, one, don't fuck with House Carino. This establishes them in a place of power. This establishes them as the leaders of this empire. And two... Sardaukar are scary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't fuck with them either. And this confederation is a gr is like a prime example of what'll happen to you if you try to overthrow the empire or if you try to fight against the Sardaukar. And the only reason that every single person in this Lishash confederation, that every single ally wasn't totally just wiped off the map, is because one of the commanders in the empire's army literally put down his arms and refused to fight because he was so sickened by the slaughter yeah and, and basically was like i don't care what you do to me emperor i refuse to fight this this has gone too far this is much more than retaliation these people have learned their lesson they are pleading for mercy at this point yeah. they're they will accept our terms why are we still killing them right and and that's how far the sardaukar take it that's how far the emperor takes it before finally stopping it's just a prime example of why people are so afraid when you start reading the Dune novels of why people are so afraid of the Sardaukar. And why people are so unwilling to challenge House Carino. And like why the, the Padishah Emperor is lasts for so long. And it's an example for us to bear in mind as we read the books, you know, as you see the word Sardaukar or as you, as you hear the word Sardaukar, knowing this history helps. But also it's an example for everybody in the universe at that time where they say, hey, these warriors, the Sardaukar, they are invincible. The one time they had a tiny little loss, it, it spun all of this misery for the quote unquote mm -hmm. victors. Yeah. So they are undefeatable. Even if you win like a tiny battle against them, you're never going to win the war ever. And whether or not this is 100% true... This is this is really where that myth or that that sort of story of invincibility is is created. Absolutely. So at this point, as the years pass, as the centuries and thousands of years pass, yeah, as the millennia pass. Right, right. What was initially this sort of raw fanaticism and, you know, surviving on Seleucus Secundus as the primary goal and the, these sort of like tribal elements, this tribal culture of the Sardau is nearly forgotten. Mm -hmm. A lot of the mechanisms that we're still working with the same cookie cutter of how to take like children and make them into Sardaukar warriors. And we're also dealing with now, how do you, once you've defeated people or once you identify potential, how do you make that potential into a, a, a diamond Sardaukar warrior through pressure or whatever, Kissinger, right? Again, not how it works, but fine. Uh, <laughs> so we are we are getting away from that initial tribal connection, that tribal culture, but we still have the mechanisms in place, this kind of paradigm 
equipped that is is still creating new Sardaukar warriors and keeping the battle and the the power at least alive enough. Again, not many people are challenging them, so it's it's a little bit hard to say. But the tribal culture is is nearly forgotten at this point. Right, right. Their their tribal history is nearly forgotten, <laughs> and Seleucus Secundus itself is now a prison planet. So now House Corin, the Empire, the Emperor, when and if they fight battles and quell rebellions, prisoners of war and prisoners against the state can be sent to Seleucus Secundus, and they will have to do the same things that the Sardau children once did a long, long time ago. They will have to deal with the negative 45 degrees to 60 degrees Celsius climate. They will have to (laughs) deal with... Tampa. Yeah. They have to deal with Tampa. Exactly. They're going to be thrown to the wolves and thrown to Tampa. (laughs) And this is what will forge them in the fire to become the next batch of Sardaukar for the emperor. So the, like you said, that, that tribal culture and the maybe many of their tribal ways uh, are no longer present for the Sardau and for House Carino and for the people in power. But the lessons they learned from their own history and from their own origins are still very much at play. They know if you want to be the best, throw these people into the worst of conditions, make these people survive or die. And that is how they continue to create more Sardaukar warriors and continue to create the best of the best. There's some interesting conversations in the, uh, or like writings in the encyclopedia about the perspective of prisoners of war who then become Sardaukar and how they are like then enforcing these things that were initially enforced upon them. Um, but kind of happily it's, it's sort of strange. It, I think we don't have all of the intricate details of like how a prisoner of war would end up a Sardaukar warrior. Yeah, but it's just interesting because, yeah, uh, you would think like, okay, I'm on a prison planet and they gave me a weapon and are are training me and giving me opportunities to get stronger. That seems like not a great prison. Right. (laughs) That seems counterproductive for you. And you have to assume part of that is religious brainwashing, too. Right, right, right. The Sardaukar are known for their almost fanatical uh, religious, like, obsessions and... That, I assume, is part of the training at Seleucus Secundus. And again, all ties back to their own origins as the Sardau people, as their tribal lifestyle, Right. where their religion was to fight. Their religion was to survive and to be warriors. And that all continues for these Sardaukar prisoners uh, that are now trained on Seleucus Secundus. It all, it all ties back to their origins. So that's basically that's who the Sardaukar are. Um, as you go into, if you're reading the books, or if you are watching Denis Villeneuve's movies or the uh, Sisterhood series, I don't know if the Sardaukar are going to be present in that. Just know, again, these are elite warriors forged in these insane fires of, of challenge and adversity. And they are they have this reputation that is, every time it's been challenged, has been reinforced. Um but you, you, you brought up a good point at the beginning of the episode, and if you're listening, maybe you've had some time to think about it. Mm-hmm. Does comfort make someone soft? Does, does comfort, does ease of life breed complacency? 
our comfort and complacency the same thing. Yeah, I, I thought that the, this would be a interesting sort of wrap up for today's episode, right? Like we, we've given you the origins of the Sardaukar. We've explained who they are. We've explained why people fear them so much and how they became the best warriors in the galaxy. Right. right. And the through line here sort of is what I mentioned earlier at the top of the episode, this idea of being forged in the fires of uh, of conflict and having to survive survive like every minute of your life that is what made them so good and so strong as warriors in this galaxy and the question here and you know leo you and i can maybe talk our way through this because i don't know that i i have settled one way or another but <laughs> yeah the 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 question here becomes are they the best because of that brutality and could anyone achieve that level while also living like a like a better life you know like not not being thrown out into the wilderness and having to survive at the age of eight like could you still outdo the sardaukar warriors by yeah just like i don't know training really hard like is there a level of motivation that you could achieve on your own without that external pressure the thing that i keep coming back to is comfort isn't necessarily complacency, right? They're not the same thing. You you can live a quote-unquote comfortable life and have some of the basic comforts like, yes, I have food, I have shelter, I have a family, a support system, but you can still continuously push yourself to be better, right? Right, Like right. we have high-performing athletes. We have people who, who have exceptional abilities because they push themselves, and it's not because they... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> were thrown out of their homes into Tampa, Florida, like <laughs> at the age of eight to try and survive. Every Olympian. Yeah. Starts in Tampa. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and it's, you know, like Roger Federer isn't the best tennis player in the world because he was tra like, he might've been training early on twice a year, eight years old. Yeah. Tampa. <laughs> and, and the argument could be made. Like, can you be, can you reach like quote unquote, peak performance not that this needs to turn into like a set one of those like obnoxious self-improvement podcasts but can, <laughs> can you achieve like peak performance can you become the best at something without some sort of like brutal external pressure yeah the sardaukar would make the argument no they've been proving it for ten thousand years it took their brutal planet and their awful culture that treated women horribly and killed off most of their young boys to create the best in the galaxy and bring them to a position of power. I would argue that maybe you don't have to go that far. And perhaps there is a way to be both comfortable with the basic needs of your life, but also continue to push yourself to, to break your own limit. Would you agree? Yeah. I, you know, it's tough because there are things that I want to talk about that we can't because of, uh, yeah, we are sort of tiptoeing around some spoiler stuff here. Yeah, so I won't I won't say any of that. Um, but I will say that it is known that there are individuals who, in one on one combat, can best a Sardaukar warrior. In the encyclopedia, it is acknowledged in the encyclopedia that a Bene Gesserit adept can, in one on one combat, overpower a, a Sardaukar. Not maybe every adept and every Sardaukar. This isn't just universally speaking. But I bring up this example because the Bene Gesserit, and we can't really say too much about them, but they are not <laughs> they are not on Seleucus Secundus. Right. <laughs> they are not being forged in the same fires as the Sardaukar warriors. And yet, 
on a very small scale, they are finding their way to this uh, competence in confrontation. Now, that doesn't make the Sardaukar army any less the most powerful army in the in the universe. No one can challenge House Carino and the Padishah Emperor. But on in one-on-one combat, yeah. it is in very rare instances known that individuals can. Right. Exactly. So sort of sort of going back to what I was saying about like pro athletes, like that's an individual achievement, right? Like that took a certain level of like pushing themselves that took a certain type of person, probably a very type A person to do that. (laughs) Not everyone is winning gold medals at the Olympics. Right. Yeah. But you can be damn sure that if there was an Olympics for slaughtering the fuck out of people, a lot of the Zardikar would be getting gold and silver. There, there, there's like no, there's like no right answer, right? We're, we're yeah. discussing like yeah. this sort of philosophical point of whether or not you need outside forces to push you beyond your limit, or if you, you are capable of doing it yourself. And I think the argument we're trying to get at get at ultimately is like, yeah, you as one person could, but how can you guarantee an entire army? Yeah of hundreds of thousands of soldiers will do that and will do that at a reliable rate. And the, and the answer is Seleucus Secundus. <laughs> the answer is Tampa, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Seleucus Secundus. <laughs> why Tampa? Why, why do I don't know. I was trying to think of like states that are usually considered shitty and Florida <laughs> was just the only thing that came up. So every article of like Florida man does this, Florida man does that. You're like, yeah. Sardaukar warrior does this. <laughs> Sardaukar warrior bites neck of crocodile you're like yeah typical (laughs) (laughs) wrestles crocodile to the ground (laughs) (laughs) well friends there is no real ending it's just the place where you stop the recording but this podcast is always one step beyond logic so help us spread the word of madib and leave us a review on apple podcasts and be sure to check out the other shows on the lore party podcast network on loreparty.com You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, he who controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the golden path.